Hey everyone, it's Father Pat here today to offer you my reflections on the scripture readings for today. Our readings are from the 33rd Sunday in Ordinary Time in the B Cycle. A reading from the book of the prophet Daniel. In those days, I, Daniel, heard this word of the Lord. At that time there shall arise Michael, the great prince, guardian of your people. It shall be a time unsurpassed and distressed, since nations began until that time. At that time your people shall escape, everyone who is found written in the book. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some shall live forever. Others shall be an everlasting horror and disgrace. But the wise shall shine brightly like the splendor of the firmament, and those who lead the many to justice shall be like the stars forever. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our response, you are my inheritance, O Lord. You are my inheritance, O Lord. O Lord, my allotted portion in my cup, you it is who hold fast my lot. I set the Lord ever before me. With him at my right hand, I shall not be disturbed. You are my inheritance, O Lord. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my soul rejoices. My body, too, abides in confidence, because you will not abandon my soul to the netherworld, nor will you suffer your faithful one to undergo corruption. You are my inheritance, O Lord. You will show me the path to life, fullness of joys in your presence, the delights at your right hand forever. You are my inheritance, O Lord. A reading from the letter to the Hebrews. Brothers and sisters, every priest stands daily at his ministry, offering frequently those same sacrifices that can never take away sins. But this one offered one sacrifice for sins and took his seat forever at the right hand of God. Now he waits until his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he is made perfect forever, those who are being consecrated. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer offering for sin. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to his disciples, In those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from the sky, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the end of the earth to the end of the sky. Learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its branch becomes tender and sprouts leaves, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see these things happening, know that he is near at the gates. Amen, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But of that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. I'm reading a book right now about Winston Churchill, uh, the former uh, prime minister of 
uh, Great Britain. It's the first time I've actually uh, uh, intentionally read a book about Churchill. I've, I've grazed up against him a bunch of times before, mostly in my reading of American history and my, uh, you know, somewhat mild obsession with the British royal family. But it occurs to me as I read this book that modern media, and I've noticed this in not just in this book, but but in other places, that modern media depicts Churchill as a kind of a buffoon, a, you know, an old, overweight, boozing, cigar-chomping blowbag who, who, who spends most of his time either soaking in a bathtub with a drink in his hand or, or walking around uh, the prime minister's residence in a robe. Now, as with any caricature, there's, there's some truth to that portrayal, I'm sure, just like there's a little bit of truth to the image of, of Homer Simpson as America's typical dad. That's, that's what kind of makes it funny. But, but a little bit of truth or, or, or a strand of truth doesn't equate to the truth or the whole truth. The large majority of American men are, are far more noble and, and competent than Homer Simpson, right? And, and, and Winston Churchill was, was no buffoon. And yet that's how our society views everything these days, isn't it? The underlying narrative seems to be this. We are citizens of a nation in decline, uh, you know, members of a church in decline, uh, residents of a civilization in decline. God can't save us or won't save us, and, and, and frankly, we're not even sure if God exists. Our, our, our modern-day golden calf, big tech, they can't save us either. Social media has only given us uh, fake news. We can't, we can't trust anything we read online or see on TV. It's given us rising suicide rates and, and uh, you know, the great gift of image filtering so that we can cover up the ugly truth of what we really look like. So we, we can't even trust images that we see. We, we certainly can't, we can't save ourselves. Every politician, including both our current president and our, our previous president, are primarily viewed as material for uh, SNL sketches, Saturday Night Live sketches, while in the meantime, we're shooting each other in the streets and, and every clergy member and every scout leader and every middle school teacher and everybody we ever respected is or was a sexual abuser. That's what, that's what the world seems to be telling us. So let's just turn off the lights and lock the doors and, and, and don't wake me up until it's over. But today's scriptures encourage us to pull back the curtain and, and to look behind the stage of, of appearances and to glimpse, glimpse the truth, the reality behind it all. I know you've all heard of the book of Revelation, also known as the Apocalypse of John. The word apocalypse is, is, is rooted in a Greek verb, which means to uncover or reveal, to uncover or reveal. That's your free Greek lesson for today, by the way. Um, it's my own Greek lesson for today, too. I'm not a Greek scholar, so, so you're welcome. Anyway, so uh, the book of the, the Revelation or, or the Apocalypse is, is, is the book of uncovering or revealing. Right? And the book of Revelation is, is the most well-known example of a literary genre that was very popular right around Jesus's time in the centuries just before and after Jesus's public ministry. The book of Revelation, though, is not the only example of apocalyptic literature. In fact, we read from two other examples outside of the book of Revelation in today's readings. The first one is our selection from the second book or the second part of the book of Daniel. Daniel is a young Jewish man, he may have been a historical, a historical figure, maybe he wasn't, who, who lived in the time of the Babylonian exile and whose bravery and, and God-given gifts lead him uh, to a position where he's the trusted advisor of, of the king. Daniel's vision in, in the reading from today is a revelation of God's 
hidden activity in the midst of a of the perhaps deserved and yet and yet somewhat unjust suffering of the Jews in the hands of the foreign powers during the time of the exile. Jerusalem has been destroyed as and Jewish culture and, and the Jewish identity and the Jewish spirit has been has been crushed. But but Daniel's vision in the middle of all of that is one of hope, one of great hope. He says, prophesies that the exile will end, goodness will triumph, and evil will be conquered. And those who have faith, those who hold out to the end, they're the ones that will share in the joy of that victory and the triumph that that maybe most people thought was too much to hope for. But the book of Daniel wasn't written for the Jews in exile in the 6th century BC, the Babylonian exile. In fact, it was actually written probably around the 2nd century BC during the reign of uh, the notorious leader or king Antiochus Epiphanes IV. Daniel's prophecy, quote-unquote, had indeed been fulfilled because the exile did end and, and the author knew it. That you know, wasn't really a prophecy by that point, right? The exile had ended, they had returned to Jerusalem, and they had rebuilt the temple. But since then, the Greeks had come into power, Antiochus Epiphanes being one of the, one of the successors to Alexander the Great. And the current king, Antiochus Epiphanes, once again, just desecrated the temple and was brutally forcing the Greek religions and culture and gods upon the Jews. Daniel's visions were meant to inspire and give hope to people whose world was collapsing around them. And, and, and so by listening to the story of their ancestors, they're reminded that even when everything seems hopeless, that God is at work behind the scenes. So evil will not win. And so don't be like the others and don't give in. That's, that's the message to the people of 2nd century BC. Our gospel reading today is from the 13th chapter of St. Mark, which is actually also apocalyptic literature, just that chapter. Not the whole gospel, but, but chapter 13 of Mark is apocalyptic literature. Unfortunately, the, the passage that we read today picks up, Jesus, picks up on Jesus in mid-speech as he reveals or uncovers the vision of the Son of Man coming in glory. So what we don't hear in, in the gospel reading that we read was the beginning of his prophecy, what was just before uh, this, this vision that he provides. So he, it starts out uh, like this, chapter 13 of St. Mark's Gospel. It says, As he was making his way out of the temple area, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what stones and what buildings. So, so they're looking at the, the magnificence of the temple. And Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? There will not be one stone left upon another that will not be thrown down. There will not be one stone left upon another that will not be thrown down. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple area, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us when will this happen? And what sign will there be when all these things are about to come to an end? Okay, so, so that, that's what leads to the gospel passage today and when he talks about, when he talks about the, the, the Son of Man. The setting, of course, is, is Jesus entering into Jerusalem just prior to his passion. It's almost Passover, and Jesus, while visiting the temple area, prophesies that one day the temple will be destroyed. But again, it's important to remember that Mark's gospel was written not, you know, not when Jesus was walking the earth, but around the year 70 AD, which is 
the time, right around the time of the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem by the Romans after a Jewish revolt. So the gospel writer uses Jesus's words in, in the temple area at the time of his passion to encourage and to inspire the Jewish Christians who are once again, just like their ancestors, witnessing the temple being destroyed or about to be destroyed. Evil, once again, appears to be winning, just like back then. But Jesus says, no, let me pull back the curtain so that you can see what is real. And we hear in today's gospel, in the same way, when you see these things happening, know that he, meaning the Son of Man, is near at the gates. Our Lord wants the Jewish Christians of 70 AD to know that he is with them. The temple, as they have always known it, is being torn down. But a new temple, a new Jerusalem, is you know, under construction with his risen body as the foundation, as the cornerstone. So don't fall victim to the hysteria. Be steadfast. Fight. Believe. So as I said, Winston Churchill was no buffoon. By the time of his appointment as prime minister in May 1940, he had already enjoyed a prestigious career in the military and in government. And the nation at that time looked to him during what seemed to be its darkest hour. Nazi Germany had already conquered Czechoslovakia, Austria, Poland, Finland, Norway, Denmark, Belgium, and the Netherlands and Luxembourg. And they were about to invade France. Britain knew that a German invasion of their island was, was going to happen. It was inevitable. They had been foolish enough for the previous governments, had been foolish enough to, to try to appease Hitler which had only given him more time to build up his military. So dark, dark days were ahead, and the people knew it. They didn't have to be told. They, they saw it happening throughout Europe. Churchill knew that Britain would be conquered if left to fight on its own. The United States would have to be convinced to enter the war. But even then, victory was far from certain. But, but Churchill also knew that if the people lost hope in the midst of this dark hour, there would be nothing left to fight for. So his immediate task was to inspire the British people when there was nothing to be inspired about. He had to prepare them for the very real possibility that France would be conquered and the British Isles would be next, and yet still urge them to remain determined and hopeful and to fight in the midst of it all. Churchill began his administration with the stark reality of his own limitations, by saying to the House of Commons on May 13th, which is, which is basically right when he was appointed prime minister, he said to the House of Commons, I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. That doesn't sound like a whole lot, does it? And a couple of weeks later, on May the 28th, uh, right around the time of Belgium's surrender, he admitted to Parliament the stark reality. He said, meanwhile, the House should prepare itself for hard and heavy tidings. I have only to add that nothing which may happen in this battle can in any way relieve us of our duty to defend the world cause to which we avow ourselves, nor should it destroy our confidence and our power to make our way, as on former occasions in our history, through disaster and through grief to the ultimate defeat of our enemies. So yes, Churchill said, yeah, things are bad and they will get worse, much, much worse. But we can't abandon our defense of freedom. And our only visible weapon will be ourselves, our own resolve. And then on June the 4th, 
in what has become a famous speech to the House of Commons, he defiantly proclaimed, even though large tracts of Europe and many old and famous states have fallen or may fall into the grip of the Gestapo and all the odious apparatus of Nazi rule, we shall not flag or fail. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the, on the seas and the oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. And if, which, which I do not for a moment believe, this island or a large part of it were subjugated or starving, then our empire beyond the seas, armed and guarded by the British fleet, would carry on the struggle until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of the old. If there's any doubt just how hopeless things appeared at that moment, Consider the report that after delivering that rousing call to arms that we just heard, Churchill muttered to another member of parliament, and we'll fight them with the butt ends of broken beer bottles, because that's bloody well all we've got. But Churchill wasn't depending on tanks or guns or even beer bottles. He wasn't even placing all his hopes in the United States or the bravery of the British people. He vowed that in God's good time, the new world, would rescue and liberate and conquer the old. If I might be so bold as to suggest it, in his heart, Churchill believed that the Son of Man would come and that the new Jerusalem would shine as a beacon to all the world. Today, we look, our generation looks to Churchill and to the greatest generation of which he was a part, much as the Jewish people of the second century BC looked to Daniel and the, and the Christians of 70 AD looked to Jesus and and those early Christians who had valiantly survived the persecutions of Nero. On the outside, things may look hopeless. But Churchill was no buffoon. Homer Simpson is not reality, and we are not people without hope if we have faith in Jesus Christ. He saved us from Nero, he saved us from Hitler, and he will save us from ourselves, from our broken nation, our broken world, and yes, our broken church. Broken beer bottles in hand, we defiantly proclaim, we shall never surrender because the Son of Man is at the gate. Have a great week.